Welcome to Destination CMO, a podcast about growth, business, and the power of marketing. With your host, Vincent Famvan, a three-time chief marketing officer, member of the Forbes Communication Council, and a 40 Under 40 award recipient. On this show, we invite our guests to share the most important stories happening today in business and tech, told through the lens of a senior marketing leader. If you enjoy this episode, don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Destination CMO. Today's guest I'm really excited to have on. This was something where you know a few years ago, my wife and I had our first baby, Lily, right before the pandemic. And one of the things about becoming a new parent is it opens up your eyes to like a whole world of products that I've never even heard of. And then like everything else in the market, there's the player in the market that's mid-priced and everybody buys. There's a premium option. And then there's also like the lightweight and compact option and the economical option. And then an entire category of products that no new parent needs, but is told that they need so that we all buy them anyway. And the thing that really brought all of this together for us was Babylist. Babylist and just getting like recommendations from the parents before us, sharing their wisdom on the things that would make our life easier as parents. Because I'm sure everybody who has listened to this podcast has heard parenting is super easy. I'm just kidding. Parenting is not super easy, but it is super fulfilling. So our guest today, Leanne Grant, is the chief growth officer at Babyless. They do nearly 300 million multifaceted marketplace. And over the years, they have also become this massive e-commerce business. They have a content creation, just engine. And also they provide healthcare resources because there's so much involved in helping your baby, helping your children become healthy and happy. So in her current role, Leanne oversees the sales team, the marketing team, where she uses a lot of her deep experience in performance and brand marketing to drive revenue through community growth, merchants, brand partnerships, as well as new business development. And what I love is she and I both kind of share one thing in common, which is we both have come from a sales background and both have been responsible for sales teams, which I think fundamentally changes your perspective on being able to grow as an organization, everybody who's involved in that. But Leanne, so great to have you on the show. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be on the show. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, let's start there. In terms of early in your career, as you were growing up as a kid, what did you think you wanted to be growing up and then actually started your career? How did that align up? And like, tell me a little bit about your journey to where you're focused now. I think that there's like a couple through lines from my childhood through to what I do today. One is I'm just obsessed with understanding people. As a kid, I would read a lot and I wanted to be maybe like a writer. I don't think I need the new, the word for memoirs, but like I love reading people's stories, understanding people's stories. So I think there was like this desire to be a writer. Then it turned into wanting to be a psychologist or like somebody who just really helped people. And I think that like, what gets me up every day. And I think what makes me good at my job is just like a desire to understand consumers, the team, the organization. I find people fascinating. Like I love people watching. That is at the heart of like what we do, right? Is understanding the people that we serve, whether those constituents are internal, whether it's external, whether it's somebody who works at another company, it's a B2B product. 
But at the end of the day, it's like understanding the pain points and trying to provide value and trying to provide solutions. Joining Babyless, which is like a very specific ideal customer profile. How did you go about really understanding the customer journey and how Babyless fits into the equation? I think what's interesting actually is I, I don't have any kids. And sometimes people at Babyless say, oh, to the CEO or they're joining. They're like, I don't know if this is the right fit for me. I don't have kids. And we say, oh, our audience, our target, very specific target audience does not have kids. And so we're able to be the most empathetic with everything you said about the journey, which is like, sure, I've heard about like Huggies and Pampers, but what are all these other brands? What's a Playyard? What's a Layette? People spend 40 hours with Babyless discovering products and building their registry because it's such a like high consideration set. So a lot of it was me being like, okay, but what's this? And what's this? And why would somebody need this? So like kind of yeah. going through that journey. And then we actually do a lot of baby list with talking to customers. So our all hands for the little company once a quarter is our customers who are pregnant, who created registries, telling us about their experience. We do a lot of UXR, just a lot of kind of reading how our consumer, reading, talking to, like understanding how our consumers respond. And then I make a registry, I don't know, once a quarter, at least. <laughs> and I give, part of our audience is, is these parents. The bigger part of our audience is friends and family giving gifts. So we had 9 million people give a gift off Babyless last year. And that's aunts, best friends, grandmas, coworkers. So I actually like have to use Babyless a lot because my friends and family are like, I'm going to baby showers. So I'll, I'll go. <laughs> I tried to buy my sister this present and it got delivered to the wrong house and all, you know, like all of that stuff. <laughs> that's our customer. Anybody who knows somebody with a baby is somebody who could use Babylist. Yeah, that's a really great point in terms of the exposure to new individuals. Cause there's like two sides of the equation, like the, the gift giver and the gift receiver. And I inherently, I guess, knew that Babylist was, had the really two, even three-sided marketplace when you have like the e-commerce component to it. But I had never really thought of that that way because I only fell into one of those categories at the moment. Yeah. Your experience is so different. You spent 40 hours probably with our app and reading our emails and reading long articles. Then you send it to all, everybody, all these people you know. Your coworker or your cousin might spend two minutes with Babyless. So we have like a very different relationship where they're like, Okay, great. Vincent needs that onesie. I'm going to buy that onesie and I'm done and I'm not coming back again. It's an interesting, very stark difference in our consumer set. Yeah. And the thing I'll tell you, like I didn't expect from Baby List and I didn't expect from a lot of the big brands that now I feel like I have an affinity and I'm like tied to is the relationship after making the purchase. I did not expect to be able to receive like valuable tidbit content. After the fact, and, and it's when I think of other companies like Nanit, for anybody who's not familiar, Nanit sells a baby monitor. I get these really cool snapshots where I can see over time how one of my kids is growing. It hits like this emotional side of remember when, because like in the first 12 months of parenting, the entire thing's just a freaking blur. <laughs> <laughs> but these are like not the things that I really expected from a company that sells a baby monitor. Yeah, it's interesting. We have this very hard acquisition challenge, which is we need to find people who are three to five months pregnant and want to create a registry. And that's not a lot of people. And it's a very right. short period of time. So when people are like, who's your customer? Who's your demo? It's not about household income or age, really. It's are you expecting a baby in your life? 
So we have yep. to get them in this really short period of time. And then they like build their registry pretty in a few months. I think the best brands and we're a life stage company. We're like, yeah, sure. That's like the commercial event, but we want to have a relationship with you from the moment you're trying to conceive or giving a gift with a consumer to the time you have a three or five-year-old. And right. so we have a whole life cycle CRM engagement strategy that is not based... The goal is not revenue. It's purely engagement. Yeah. And you know the digital marketer side of me is just like, well, how do you identify an individual who has this huge secret that they haven't even told their siblings about, but you have to figure that out first and get them into the top of the funnel? I know earlier in your career, you spent time at Google. So like my head initially goes to, okay, well, your Google searches definitely tell more about you than sometimes you tell your best friend. So, you know, PPC and SEO is like an obvious play there. But I almost feel like as I take a look at the journey that Babyless has taken over the past few years, it's also becoming, if not already, a household name where like, the Macy's registry of the 80s, where you'd walk around Macy's and with a scanner gun, I feel like it's definitely not the leading wedding registry today. I might be offending like somebody from the Macy's marketing team right now, but I feel like Babyless kind of just becomes one of these things in a parent journey that's more of a default and less, less of a search now. Like, How do you think about the brand versus the performance acquisition channels? It is like our challenge and our opportunity. And I think I would go back to like, when we really understand the consumer, it's not about, oh, we need to do targeting of somebody at this stage. And it's about understanding that 20% of people who create our registry have given a gift off baby list in the past. And so we're not going to email them six months later and say, are you pregnant yet? Or anything like that. <laughs> but we are going to have a life cycle email strategy where we say, hey, you gave a gift to Vincent. A year ago, do you know he has a one-year-old now? Like these are some great gifts for one-year-olds. Or here's some content on how to be a great grandma, how to be an awesome aunt. And did you know that like a lot of people have babies in their lives? Like, so we try to engage with them in like this kind of we're a media company, we're a technology company, we also have e-commerce, but like how do we just like engage with as many people in a really useful way as possible and not worry too much about, well, is that driving ROI? And part of it's a luxury that we are profitable and have been consistently profitable. We have a lot of data. We measure things. We look at ROAS and we are not driven by data. We're driven by insights. So we say, okay, great. Yes, search is working for us. People do search for baby registry. That's not the first time that they interact with us. Like, let's make every interaction with this user delightful because at the end of the day, that'll drive really good results. A solid product-led growth strategy there when you take a look at companies like Uber get discoverability because word of mouth, but also Uber's got that feature where you start an Uber ride, you can share your ride status or like your current location with somebody mm -hmm. else, just like surprise and delight moments where I could 100% see like if you make it a good experience for somebody who's giving a gift and making that as easy as possible, as seamless as possible how that could leave a lasting impression. I love the example that you gave of what not to do. And it 100% brought me back. Do you remember when this happened? For anybody who's watching on our YouTube or LinkedIn right now, I just put up a Forbes article that the title says, How Target Figured Out a Teen Girl Was Pregnant Before Her Dad Did. And it's a story of Target essentially knowing that this teenager was pregnant and I think recommending or showing some type of like promotional gift card or coupon for products. 
And this is kind of the day and age that we live in as marketers now of just because you have the data doesn't necessarily mean you should use the data in all instances. And we really need to be thoughtful between what we can do as marketers and what we actually do do as marketers, because this did not end up being a really great story for Target, which is actually a brand that I love. Yeah, I think that ties back to like really deeply understanding and empathizing with your customer base. So another big in this life stage, yes, you don't want to be asked if you're pregnant or told that you're pregnant before you kind of explicitly share that information. There's also, I think about 25% of pregnancies end in loss. And so we have a lot of people who create a baby registry and then they lose their baby. Like that's a common occurrence. And so we deeply empathize with that. We make it easy to unsubscribe from emails. And we are very careful that we only contact you if you ask us to be contacted. And so I think it's about, again, not just looking at the data and be like, oh, well, we could send out, I think, Target direct mail. That would be a $50 CAC and lead to signups. It's really saying, oh, is that the right thing to do? This is a sensitive relationship. What We have to really treat it as such and really deeply empathize with our customers. And if that means we have a less effective advertising campaign or we can't do a really effective advertising campaign, that's fine. That does not matter as much as like as being a partner or a friend to this user. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Babylist considers itself to be an e-commerce business. You know, what are some of the biggest challenges that e-commerce businesses like Babylist face? And, you know, from a CMO perspective, how can you support and help there? One of the reasons I joined Babylist is because our business model is actually really interesting. I call us a technology company. We are a female-founded, engineering-led company, and we act like an engineering-led company and a product-driven company. So our core product is the ability to add products from anywhere to your list that is maybe more similar to a Pinterest than an e-commerce company. And we have a whole media arm. We have two different revenue streams where partners pay us to bring their brand and product to life. We have an e-commerce arm. And then we actually just launched, you mentioned this, a health insurance reimbursement arm. So you can get products for free through insurance and Babyless facilitates that transaction. And so I'm not avoiding your question. I think that I can talk to what I think e-commerce only companies' struggles are, but we have the benefit of like, being a technology company that acquires this user, and we have four different ways to monetize them. And so that's helped us be profitable. And that helps us having a media arm with content and storytelling uh, and brand helps us acquire customers in a way that other companies can't. We don't have to like play the game as much of like, let's compete on Google PLAs because we have amazing content around products. So that just like a little bit of a clarification there is like, I think it's really hard to be an e-commerce CMO. I don't think that I am one, but when we do talk about our e-commerce business, it is about do these products and does this shop have product market fit? Let's really focus on creating great, delightful product experience. We can market that through emails and ads and all of that. But we want to start with like, what is that product? And is this e-commerce business differentiated, exciting, something that people want to come back to. And then we build maybe like the channels or levers onto that. Yeah. I think that exclamation makes perfect sense because when I think traditional e-commerce business, it's a mobile website or it's a desktop website and it's built feature-wise to be really transactional. 
when I take a look at what I think is the best experience using Babyless, it's mobile app first, it's relationship focused, and it is content driven. And there's like functions in it at the heart of why is the user opening the app? For at least for me, it was to learn and to learn Mm -hmm. whether it's like soft parenting skills, whether it's like health related or whether it's learning about different product categories that I have not spent time on and yet are multi-million dollar industries, it's still learning. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I think, where I try to describe as like technology in a media business. We happen to sell last year $900 million worth of GMV and did $300 million worth of revenue. Like this is a really big company. But we don't start with how do we get the consumer to shop more or transact? We yep. start with like, how do we build a relationship? Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. And even I think there's lessons for traditional D2C e-commerce businesses to even take away. When you take a look at the retail industry and e-commerce industry over the past couple of years, you've had a lot of companies IPO. You have a lot of companies get acquired. I think of like the Bonoboses get acquired by your massive giants like Walmart And then you have all of these VC-backed companies where they join public organizations or they file for IPOs and all the financials come out. And then you start learning things like, geez, Casper loses $500 for every single mattress that they sell. Allbirds doesn't turn a profit, expands into a bunch of product categories. And Allbirds at one time was the sweetheart child of D2C. And yet it's these other business models that when... VC money starts tightening up. It's these other business models where you have multiple revenue streams and you're focused on the long-term relationship with customers that really succeed and reach a point where they can be large private equity or publicly traded companies that deliver a sustainable value to shareholders. Yeah. And look, I've worked at the companies that are not profitable and are VC backed many times. It's exciting. And like all the companies you just named are really impressive businesses that have grown a lot. I specifically joined Babylist a little over three years ago because I was like, I think I want to see it's hard to build a profitable company that is not VC backed. I spent most of my career not doing that. And when I met our founder and learned more about Babylist, I was like, oh, wow, how are they generating this much revenue without raising money? It forced them to create a really incredible product with a really high NPS score. And with an incredible viral loop. And that took 10 years. So it's not that high growth, fast growth company. Now we've raised some VC money and we're growing more quickly and we're expanding. But taking the time to really get that product market fit and building that great experience, I think is worth it. Something that I think is really interesting throughout your career, you you spent time at Google, which is a company that everybody has heard of. Massive technology company to smaller organizations that you've been a part of. And one of the things that you just said was you met the founder and that kind of sparked your really your interest in joining. And early career, I definitely had a time where it was like the brand name recognition of the company that you could put on your resume. And more often than not recently, like the things that motivate me are less of the company and more the leader. And also less of the compensation and more like the passion and the work and the team. How do you think about joining organizations and like what are some of the criteria that you use to be able to make those decisions? I'm glad I worked at Google. I'm glad I worked at it as my first job, not just because it does have that LinkedIn or resume validation, but because early career, it was so important for me to have structure and training. 
I worked in the, the sales org there and they did so much for us in terms of teaching us how to be a good employee and what reviews are and like infrastructural things that startups don't have. And so I think that's the biggest thing I got from Google was just like learning how to work and learning how to excel. And well, it was still a high growth, well, is a high growth business, but this was 17 years ago. So even more high growth. So that was important to me, but I left because I said, I can't make an impact. I just felt like what I did didn't really matter. And so to your point now, I think it's about what can I learn from this business? And I've joined some companies where I was like, I want to learn what it feels like to work at a 20-person startup. Or I worked at a company called Brandless, which was like really disruptive to the CPG space. And I was like, what does that feel like? And we raised a ton of money. And like, what does it feel like to have SoftBank's backing and all of that? For me about like, what am I learning? What do I want my life to be like at this stage? And so joining Babylist, it was really about, I want to learn how to scale a company that has product market fit and that is bootstrapped. And I think I can bring all the great things I learned from previous companies. Like at Brandless, I learned a ton about PR and at Google, I learned a ton about performance marketing. And so how can I bring those things to this smaller company? Yeah, I like how you were thinking about it. And now that you mentioned that I had a similar experience throughout my career where early on, I spent 10 years with Best Buy. Best Buy does about 50 billion in revenue. But like when you join one of those massive organizations, you're not going to be the person that fundamentally impacts the company strategy because it's very large teams that move very, very slowly sometimes towards a goal. And there's a lot of people involved. But at the same time, from a resource standpoint, there's a massive team focused on leadership training. That team in and of itself within that company is larger than the entire company at some of the companies that I've worked at. And that is very different than being at a pre-revenue VC-backed startup where you might have 10 to 20 people on the team where you learn a ton in a different way. And that's by actually doing a bunch of different things that normally you would have entire teams focused on each of those different things. I think people early career, later career join startups thinking, oh, this is a way for me to make money or to like be a part of a company that succeeds. And the reality is most startups fail. And if you as an individual are really good at making one bet, that's going to turn out to be uh, the next unicorn or decacorn. Like you should not join that company. You should join B of EC. It's so hard to make <laughs> a bet of like, is this company going to... You're committing your entire income and career for three to five years to this company. It's probably not going to work out. That's fine. But don't think that you're like this really good person at choosing. But companies are going to work yep. out because you're not. So just going in kind of eyes wide open about that risk and saying, okay, I have that risk. What am I getting out of this? If it is that high risk financially and career wise, are you really going to learn a lot? That's a really great point. I am not a VC. And if I knew how to pick the winners, I would try to become a VC. But even amongst VCs, the failure rate of their investments, to your point, is high. So like, if you're choosing employers and you think that you're going to be able to have a better batting average, they're deploying capital to dozens, if not hundreds of companies per year. But you can really only pick one employer that you work at for the four years that it'll take to be fully vested there. And even then, there's so much that you can't control. Let's say you do pick that Uber and you're like one of the first 100 employees at an Uber or at a WeWork. And I'm using these examples specifically 
you might spend your entire time there, but you can't control the IPO. You can't control what happens to the share price after the IPO. And in many instances, you have a lockup for a year where you can't liquidate on your shares either. And so there's a lot of variables there before the big payday comes, to your point. Yeah. People who've gotten lucky enough to choose those companies early on and made a bunch of money, like they, and they learned a lot. It's a great experience. But I think sometimes just a narrative of like, oh, just join a startup and you'll learn a lot. And I, I would question, you're probably not going to make any money. How much are you actually learning and being clear and honest with yourself about that? Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And the millennial inside of me is just like, if you're making those decisions to join a really early stage startup, and you're making that big bet, potentially the driver for it is the passion and the impact on the world. Your alignment to the mission, it really matters because there's going to be weeks that are really, really tough. And there's going to be weeks that are really, really exciting at the same time. And the alignment to mission and purpose, I think, is what will get you through all the highs and the lows. So given all the buzzwords and trends happening at a given time, the buzzword of the year is generative AI and large language learning models. How do you keep your team steady and focused on the areas that matter? And at the same time, how do you catch the trends and make sure that you're leveraging the best of the latest technology at the same time? We try to be pretty aware of what's going on in the space, but to your point, not distractive. ChatGBT, generative AI are things that I think everyone needs to understand. I pretty quickly signed up for an account. I used ChatGBT to write a job description for a role I was hiring for in January. I used it, I would say, like pretty early on for work. And my goal with that, and like I think what we try to share at Babylist is don't jump on a technology trend just to jump on it. Actually use the product. See how it can support you. And then one of my jobs as a leader is to then explain to the company this is how you could approach it. So I actually did a all hands with our VP of engineering, just dedicated to generative AI. And the goal was not to say, okay, these are the three tools we're going to use. And this is how to use it, you know, like kind of be really yep. prescriptive. Um, the goal was just to empower everybody at BabyList, whether they're in accounting, supply chain, marketing, engineering, sales to, we did a kind of explanation of what it was. Everybody at the company had to create a chat GBT account in breakout rooms. And then they kind of worked together and said, oh, wow, I could use this to write an SOP for our warehouse, or I could use it to write a vendor memo or et cetera. So I think with that type of technology, when it's maybe changing quickly, it's new. My role was to say, you have permission to use this technology. I don't know how you should use it, but I think that it's really cool. So start playing around with it. And that has turned into us like using generative AI tools, including but not limited to ChatGPT for various, very specific functions and needs. And that's like the teams who could use it were like, oh, I love this. I'm going to use it for this reason. And there's a tool called XYZ and I'm going to sign for it, up for it and use it. And it'll help me do my job. So that's how we approached it. I think other people have like strategies and more top-down plans for it, but that's not what we did. What you're describing is pretty similar to how things played out for me as well. I work in the intersection of two really highly regulated industries. And so, you know, like all other regulated industries, like things tend to move slower. 
just because there's more caution and the, the table stakes for like bad advice, like some of the content that we put out as a healthcare company gets medically reviewed. And on one side, the technologist early adopter in me, there was a study that came out a few months ago where uh, physicians rated response to real patient questions and 50% of the responses were written by a physician and 50% of the responses were written by chat GPT. And the physicians said that the rate or rated the chat GPT written responses as higher quality responses with more empathy than the physician written responses, which is wild. And, you know, that was double blind. The sample size was pretty small and like everything else, like more studies need to be done. But I think that definitely shows promise. Now, healthcare is obviously a highly regulated industry and the risk of hallucinations when you have generative AI that's generating responses that are just very confident and blatantly inaccurate can literally lead to life and death situations. But as a leader within an organization, I think that's where guiding the team through like how to approach this become so critical. And that is not going to be like a one size fits all because I was going to throw out an industry and just say, if you're in the such and such industry, you should just unleash it and do it. And I know I'm going to get an email from somebody that works in that industry. And it's like, Vincent, you're so, you're totally off (laughs) on it. But my point is like the approach, you know, matters company by company and industry by industry. And like, for us, it was like, we encouraged the entire team to lean in personally. We had a team offsite where a lot of us were at this restaurant and we actually got like really good service from our waiters. So we actually all used chat GPT to write a review for that restaurant. And we had a contest at the table for who could write the best one. And it was at a bowling alley. So I asked chat GPT to write it with as many bowling puns as possible. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like really, really good. It wrote something like I could sit down for an hour and it wrote, and write, and it wrote something like funnier and wittier than anything that I could have possibly written. And, you know, as a team, we all leaned in personally because we knew that we couldn't necessarily start pushing content out that ended up reaching our end users yet. But at the same time, we're watching it. Microsoft's putting together a private cloud for healthcare, and it is a topic that has been introduced into our board meetings. And from a three to five year perspective, I think it's going to be groundbreaking, like every other application that we've seen. But to your point, the approach that's right for us be the, different than the approach that's, that's right for another company. Although hand over heart, I kind of wish I was in one of those industries where I could just like fully unleash it today. <laughs> yeah, I think the analogy I like that people use is it's your co-pilot. You're in charge, but you can use it to like help you generate ideas, but you need to review it. And I've kind yeah. of transitioned that into like, it's your coworker. So especially mm-hmm. in this like remote first world, a lot of people are like, I just need somebody to bounce ideas off of. And I'm like, yeah, go to yeah. ChatGPT and say like, what do you think some subject lines are? Or what do you think about this? And like right. have a conversation. But a short, small story is I was with some friends and they live in Salt Lake City. We could not decide what to do on a Saturday night. And so we're like, oh, we'll just go to ChatGPT. And so we like wrote this prompt. So good. We're this many people. We have a seven month old baby. We want to like get outside, but also like have some dinner, draft an itinerary Mm -hmm. for us. And the prompt was incredible. It's like, well, it's looking a little foggy. So you should do this. And we love the itinerary, but it told us to go to a bar. (laughs) And in Salt Lake City, babies are not allowed at bars. And so we're like, oh, you have to fact check it. Like that's such a silly reason. Babies can come to restaurants. We knew we had this information, but it did generate ideas for us. 
And so it was like, oh, great. This is like a friend we have here and we'll respond to it, but we're not going to blindly follow the, the advice. Yeah, love that. One big takeaway, don't blindly follow the advice. You know, the other one I've had some people like use GPT and like you almost forget it's like autonomous driving. Like if the car is about to drive off a cliff, you got to grab the steering wheel. You don't just like hit publish on the thing that it cranked out. We had such a great conversation. I've had a pleasure chatting with you today. For somebody who wants to learn more about you or follow your story, where's the best way to connect? I'm on LinkedIn. I don't really use other social channels, but feel free to follow or connect with me there and check out babylist.com and let me know what you think. Awesome. If you are expecting or you know somebody or you're going to a baby shower, definitely check out Babylist. If you don't already know, one of the coolest things is if you create a registry, I think 60 days before your child arrives, you do get a 15% coupon code to buy something off your registry as well which is yet another reason that you should sign up for one. Leanne, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Wherever you're watching this, please make sure to like and subscribe. See you next time, Destination CMO. Thank you. This has been Destination CMO, hosted by Vincent Famvan. Because marketing careers are often highly specialized and rarely linear, Destination CMO invites senior marketers to share stories and insights from their professional journey. If you enjoyed this episode, we'll be continuing the conversation in the Destination CMO mobile app. Join the community by downloading our iOS or Android app. Just search for Destination CMO or tap the link in the show notes today. And join us next time for the most important stories in business and tech, explained through the lens of a senior marketer. Thanks for listening to Destination CMO. This podcast is produced by Caroline Pickens and the team at Fresh Picked Studio. For more information, go to freshpickstudio.com.